back to your seats. We're going to get started. As you make your way back to your seats, I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. If you are a guest with us this morning, welcome. Uh, my name is uh, Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors here, and we are very grateful and thankful that you are here with us this morning. Uh, if you are a guest, we are continuing on our series on the book of Philippians. And so if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one under the seat in front of you. The verses will eventually be on the screen, but I do encourage you to open up a Bible uh, or maybe turn your Bible app or whatever and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Let's start reading together in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Do I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also? If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law of Pharisees, as the zeal of persecutor of the church, as the righteousness under the law of blameless. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, it's good to stop and be still. And to acknowledge our need for you this morning. Father, we recognize and we understand that any spiritual understanding that we have is a gift that is the work of the Holy Spirit giving us eyes to see the truth of your word how you revealed yourself to us and so Father as we look at your word this morning we ask that your spirit would lead us and guide us and that your spirit would give us eyes to see our need for you Father, as we look at your word and as we see the, the reality that some of us live in, that this, uh, this reality that we believe, that, Father, that you demand all of these expectations for us, and if we meet them well enough, that you will accept us and welcome us into your eternal kingdom. So, Father, we believe this lie that 
we can gain your acceptance by trying and earning and striving hard enough that you will be pleased with us. Father, help us to see this morning that way of life is made from Father, that there is a way that you have provided for us to be right with you that comes to the work of the person of Jesus Christ and we see him all his glories and that it may cause us to obey this command and rejoice in him. Because we know that as a result of seeing you before, that you should produce this rejoicing in us. For anything, nothing else is possible. So we ask this. So, as most of you know, last Saturday we had a funeral service in this room for Josiah Freimeyer. Josiah was born to J.M. Brooke Freimeyer, but he was stillborn. So Josiah was brought into this world, and he never had the ability or the opportunity to breathe one single breath. Now, you can imagine that it was not an easy week for Jay and Brooke, and it wasn't an easy week for many of us in this room, and if you're like me, you are still feeling the effects of what happened. As I spent all week thinking and praying about what to say at the funeral service, I was reminded about what life is all about. And because of this, as I mentioned at that funeral service, I am forever grateful for the life of Josiah Freimar. You see, I've been a Christian now for about 20 years. And the first 10 years of my Christian life, I had a different perspective on the Christian life that I have now, that I've had for the, for the last 10 years of my Christian life. And Josiah Freimar, as I was front reflected, on his life and his and his death, he has been this light for me to show me and remind me that I am on the right path. This morning, I want to share with you two different perspectives on the Christian life because I believe that many of you may be like me. You may have a similar story to mine. Either at one time you had this wrong perspective on the Christian life and you came to see the light or the right perspective on the Christian life and it radically changed your life or some of you are still living this morning with this wrong perspective on the Christian life. You you need to see but ultimately the the, the aim and goal of the Christian life and have, have your life radically changed this morning as some of you maybe uh, may have come into this place and you're not Christian at all. You've never put your faith and trust in Christ. I hope that you see this morning the beauty and the greatness of the person of Jesus Christ and what he offers to us this morning. The life filled with freedom and joy that ultimately leads to salvation. Because there are two ways to live the Christian life. And one of them, as we're going to see, is not really Christian at all, but it may have been the way that you have been taught. And some of you 
are experiencing the, the negative things about this way of living the Christian life, the, the negative kind of consequences that, that it's a life essentially of, of slavery and doubt and, and joylessness, if that's, if that's a word. There is this way of life that leads to freedom and joy and ultimately salvation. So, if you want to know if you're on the right path this morning, if you want to know if you have it right in regards to how you are to live the Christian life, if you desperately want a life filled with freedom and joy that ultimately leads to salvation, then pay close attention. Because we can't afford to get this one wrong. We have to see the aim and goal of the Christian life, and we're going to see it clearly in our passages. So, this is what I want to do first. I want to start by looking at the wrong perspective of the Christian life. Look at verse 2. Paul gives this warning to us, or he gives the warning to uh, Christians in the church of Philippi. And this is, this is what he says. Listen clearly. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And so in this passage, Paul is giving a warning here. And he's, he's, he's telling the church and he's, he's telling us as, as Christians, he says, look out for the dogs. All right? Now, he's not talking about literal dogs. He's talking about people. So he's talking about these dogs or these people who ultimately say and teach this. We've got to hear it loud and clear. The dogs are those who teach that the Christian life is all about what you do or do not do in order for God to accept you and earn your acceptance and salvation. And so these dogs, they want to, they want to teach and they want to show that there are certain requirements or certain expectations that God places upon Christians. And if we act a certain way and if we live up to those expectations and standards, that God is going to be pleased with you and accept you and you will ultimately receive eternal life and be welcomed into his kingdom. And so think about it like a checklist. These dogs in this context... They're saying that you have to be circumcised in order to receive God's acceptance, which ultimately leads to eternal life and salvation. So this is the context in which Paul is dealing. So essentially, this is, this is kind of like a self-salvation plan or a self-improvement plan that if you mark all these boxes, that if you check all of these things, if you do the right things and you don't do the wrong things, then in the end, God is going to receive you and accept you and welcome you into his eternal kingdom. Now, this week, I had a conversation with, uh, with one of my friends, and they had just gotten back from a conference in Dallas. And so my friend asked me, she said, hey, um, there was this speaker, and the speaker said, if you let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, you will not be saved. And she said, is this true? And I said, well, yes. If salvation is dependent upon what you do or do not do, then yeah, 
it, it, it is a matter of salvation if salvation is dependent upon checking all of these boxes, doing all of these expectations that God sets upon you, measuring up to the standards. If salvation is dependent upon them, then yes. You see, this is how I was taught to live the Christian life. When I became a Christian, I asked somebody, I said, now that I'm a Christian, what am I supposed to do now? And they gave me this list of things to do. They said all of these good things. Now listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna list all of these good things that we are to do as Christians, but pay close attention to what I actually heard and received in this list. They, they said, hey, now that you're a Christian, you've got to read your Bible and pray. And you are to love your neighbor and serve your neighbor more than you love and serve yourself. And above all, you are to glorify God and love him above all things. And oh, let me, let me make sure you hear loud and clear, never cuss again. And, and, and stay away from the forbidden fruit of alcohol and rated R movies. God does not want you to be a part of that. So I, I responded by saying, okay, let, let, me, let me understand if I got you correctly. Now that I'm a Christian, what I'm supposed to do now is read my Bible and pray, love my neighbor as myself, don't drink, don't cuss, don't, don't watch rated R movies, and above all, glorify God, whatever that means, and love God above all things, right? Do I, do I, do I have it correctly? And they said, yeah, you got it. Just follow, the, follow that path. Just, just, just make sure you, you check all of those boxes. You see, what I, what I ultimately heard was this. If I do all of these things that God expects me to do, then in the end, God's going to be accepted. He's going to accept me. He's going to love me. And he's going to be pleased with what I do. And as a result... I will receive eternal life and be welcomed into his kingdom. You see, I believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin, but it was up to me to, to maintain my relationship with God, to be in a right standing with God based on meeting all of these expectations and standards and requirements. Any of you with me? Any of you taught this way to live the Christian life? This is how I lived for 10 years, all right? So for 10 years of my life, I tried to earn God's love and pleasure and acceptance would ultimately lead to salvation by trying to measure up to all these expectations that God placed upon my life. So my life or the goal of my life was not to please God in response to what he has done for me, but it was trying to get God to be pleased with me by measuring up to all his expectations and standards. But for 10 years of my life, I was miserable. I never, ever felt accepted and loved by God. You know why? Because I could never meet his expectations and standards. When I did good, which I felt was not very often, I felt pretty good about my relationship with God. But when I, mess, when I messed up, when I, when I could not meet his expectations and standards, when I, when I felt that I, that, I, that I could not or didn't really want to love my neighbor as myself, anyone not want to love your neighbor as yourself at times? 
Any of you have a hard time at times like loving God above all things? Maybe it's just me. So when I felt this, I mean, I knew the reality of my heart. I knew the brokenness of my heart or I knew the darkness of my heart. And I knew at times I didn't want to do these things. And so when I knew what God told me to do or what I, what I was supposed to do, but I could not have the ability to actually do it, I went into this place of despair, right? Like I, I just couldn't, I could never, I could never do it. I could never meet the expectations I felt like he placed upon my life so I could never earn his acceptance. I never felt like the father loved me and he was pleased with me because it seemed like all I could do was just fail and fail and fail and fail. And to make matters worse, if I did have any success, it led to spiritual pride. You see, I began to look down upon all those lukewarm Christians who didn't read their Bible and pray like I did. I started comparing myself to other Christians and thought that now God owed me something as a result of my spiritual devotion. But the whole time, guys, I never felt close to God. I never felt my love for him was increasing. In fact, I felt further and further and further away from him because here's the, hear, hear this truth. This way of living is not Christian. It's not the way to live the Christian life. Because trying to gain or earn God's acceptance and love by meeting his expectations and standards will only lead you down a path of darkness and and misery and despair. Because here is the reality and the truth that we all need to hear loud and clear this morning. You, me, everyone in this room, everyone in this city will never be able to measure up to God's expectations and standards. Never. So listen, if this describes your life, then you need to repent. Like right now, you need to be honest with yourself and you need to be honest with God and you need to come to this realization that you cannot measure up to God's expectations and standards. The greatest thing that you can say to God is, I can't. God, I know that I should measure up to your expectations and standards, but I fail to measure up to your expectations and standards, and I cannot measure up to your expectations and standards. Because until you come to this realization, until you come to this realization and understand that you have failed to measure up to God's expectations and standards, and you can never meet his expectations and standards, until you come to this realization, you will continue on this path to try to earn his acceptance and love, which ultimately leads to salvation, but you will never, ever get it. The dogs want you to believe that you can. If you just check these boxes... That God will be pleased with you and accept you by based on what you do. But listen very carefully. The only way, the only way to be accepted by God is to actually turn from yourself. Is actually turn from yourself, turn from your own doing, turn, turn from your own righteousness, turning from maybe even your own morality, thinking that is going to measure up and get God to be pleased with you, accept you. Turn from all of that and turn to the one who met all of God's expectations for you. The way 
to freedom and joy and salvation is actually turning from putting confidence in yourself or your flesh and turn to the one who has a perfect righteousness, a perfect law-keeping, a perfect obedience that he offers to place into your account. And that person is Jesus Christ. Look at verse four. This is huge for us to see. Notice what Paul is doing. Let's read this. Paul says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law, uh, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under law, blameless. So he's listing all of his religious accomplishments and his, his spiritual credit. But now look what he does in verse seven. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss uh, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's a mouthful, isn't it? All right, let's, let's unpack this. If anyone could obtain God's acceptance and favor and salvation it was Paul. So if anyone could, could, could receive God's acceptance based on religious accomplishments or outward acts or, or, or doing good things, like he was the man. He had the, the nationality. He had the upbringing. He had the morality. He had all of the rule keeping. I mean, Paul had it all. None of us in this room compare to this guy named Paul who blew it out of the water in regards to religiosity. I mean, he was, he was the man. But by the grace of God, Paul came to this realization that none of, it, none of it was ever good enough. All right, so no matter what he did for God, it wasn't enough to, to, to meet God's perfect expectation and standard. And so Paul came to this place that all of us need to come to. So if you have uh, checked out and you're falling asleep, wake up. Paul came to this place that we all need to come to. He actually came to the end of himself and he gave up. So he came to the end of himself and he gave up trying to earn God's acceptance by his own doing because he saw that all of his self-effort and all of his morality and all of his rule keeping and all of his upbringing would never, ever, ever be enough to receive God's acceptance and grace and favor. You see, Paul is describing a ledger in this passage. Now, I am terrible with numbers. I mean, absolutely horrible. I finally passed college algebra by taking a class at OCCC where we studied mathematicians and quilt patterns. To this day, I don't understand how it was transferred into OU, but I'm thankful it did because I'd still be trying to pass college algebra today. I'm terrible 
Now, you don't have to be a mathematician to understand what Paul is doing in this text. It's really, really clear. So in Paul's day, an accountant would have drawn a T, okay? So on the left side, you list your debts, and on the right side, you list your credits, and you would do the math to come up to see how much you're worth, and so Paul is listing all of these religious accomplishments. He's basically list, listing his spiritual resume in, 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 in his credits, believing and trusting at one time that all of those things would actually earn God's acceptance of him, which leads to salvation and eternal life. So he begins to write morality. He wrote religious practices, circumcision, rule-keeping, spiritual devotion, what would you place in there? What would you place as your spiritual credits? Thinking and believing that if you just did this, that it would be enough. That if you followed these rules, it'd be enough. Baptism, church membership, maybe being raised in a Christian home, that's good enough being born into a nation under God, that, that makes you a Christian. He lists them all. And he begins to count them. And he says the most stunning and the most surprising thing about them, they're all worthless. All of these religious accomplishments they're all worthless. He says, what, what gain I thought I had in these things, what gain I thought I had in these things for God to be pleased with me and accept me, they're, they're all loss. He begins to take all of these spiritual credits, all his, his spiritual resume, which was like A plus, man. Like he, you know, he, he blew it out of the water. He had all these religious trophies that, that he thought were going to gain God's acceptance. He begins to move them one by one into the debt column. And he began to see them for what they truly are. They're debts. All of these spiritual credits, they don't earn God's acceptance of him. Instead, it doesn't make much sense to, to some of us if we've grown up in the church and, and all these religious things we're supposed to do to, to see that actually if we're trusting in those religious things for God's acceptance, guys, th those are actually debts because they can never measure up to God's expectations and standards. Because here's the reality. And hear this loud and clear. The only person or the only people that God fully accepts are those who are perfectly righteous just as he is perfectly righteous. The only person that God will welcome into his kingdom are those who have met all of his expectations and standards perfectly. Anyone in here want to claim that? You see the the credits that we think we have that will earn us eternal life or earns God's acceptance of us are actually debts. And the Bible is really clear that the wages of sin or the wages that we deserve as a result of our debt is actually death. 
And so Paul came to this realization that we all need to come to, that we don't have any spiritual credit. I mean, all the things that Paul looked to in order to receive God's acceptance and love and, and favor are actually worthless. And Paul actually tells or he describes all of those credits as actually a pile of dog manure. It's rubbish, he says. They, they don't, I mean, if it is what it is. They're, it's just a pile of dung that that do not earn us God's acceptance and actually earns us God's rejection. And so here's the truth loud and clear. I hope, I mean, I hope we're at this place at this point to where if we're in this place and we've been looking to ourselves to receive God's love and acceptance, I hope that we see that it's bankrupt, that we have nothing because until we come to this place, then we will never see our need for another source of righteousness that is good enough and acceptable enough that will make us actually acceptable to God. And if you're in that place, then this news will actually be really, really, really good news to you. I mean, if, you're, if you understand the place in which you are at, that, that, that there's nothing that you can do to earn God's acceptance and love and pleasure and salvation. If you're at that place and you desperately need and see a need for another source of righteousness is acceptable, let me tell you some really good news this morning. There is another source of righteousness that God offers to you that you can simply receive by faith, and that's the righteousness of Jesus. So, more than anything in my life. I'm, I'm honest in saying this. More than anything in my life, what I want you to see so clearly this morning is what happens. What happens when you turn from yourself and you turn and you look to Christ? Like, I, I want more than anything in my life for you to be assured and you to be confident this morning of what happens in your life when you, when you stop trusting in yourself and you turn to Jesus. I mean, what happens when you gain Christ by faith? All of your debts, all of your sin, all the times that you have failed to measure up to God's expectations and standards. That pile of dung that earns God's rejection of you was placed upon Christ at the cross. They went into his account. And so all of your sin, all of your debts were placed upon Christ at the cross. They went into his account and he took the rejection for you. But not only that. So all your debts were transferred to Jesus, but all of Jesus' obedience to the Father and all of his perfect righteousness and all the times that he measured up perfectly to the Father's expectations and standards, God takes that and he places it upon you and your account and God accepts you. He accepts you now and accepts you always. Do you believe that?
I mean, do you really believe that? That your acceptance is 100% determined by Jesus taking all of your debts upon himself and giving you his perfect righteousness. So you're not in this neutral place, all right? Like, like your spiritual account is not now zero because just simply your debts were placed upon Jesus. Man, your spiritual account is like plus 10 billion. Like when the Father sees you, if you are in Christ, the Father sees you with, with, through this lens that you have perfectly obeyed all of his commands, that you've met all of his ex- expectations, that you've measured up to all of his standards because you are in his Son. And so now it's not that you have to do all these things to maintain a right relationship with God. You've got it in Christ. And you'll have it always. Guys, listen very carefully. Do you, I mean, do you see what God has done for us? Do you see the amazing truth of what God Almighty, the maker of the heavens and the earth, has done for us to, uh, for us to receive his acceptance and welcome and salvation? This is God's doing. He did it all. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that for our sake... For your sake, for our acceptance, God made him, him being Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. For guys, there is no one else in all of the world who has obeyed God's law perfectly for us. Only Jesus. There is no one else who went to the cross to bear your debts. Only Jesus. There is no one else who can take away your debts, only Jesus. There there is no one else who has bore the the wrath of God for your debts, only Jesus. There is no one else who was raised from the dead for your eternal life, only Jesus. And there's, there's no one else who God will accept you in and through except Jesus. So guys, listen very carefully. If this is true, which I believe that it is because God's word is telling us that it's true, then who else do we want to put our faith and trust in? Who else can we put our faith and trust in? Listen, as I was at the graveside of Josiah Frymeyer, I looked around and I, and I saw all the, the headstones. And out of nowhere, this, this uh, thought came over me that one day I'm, I'm going to have one of these things. And all of a sudden, this fear just gripped my soul. Like I, I, I felt it just creeping up in the pit of my stomach. But all of a sudden, out of, out of nowhere, and I, I can't explain it other than just giving... Uh, crediting the, the Holy Spirit for, for, for bringing the words to these song, this song to my, to my heart and soul. So in this moment where I begin to, to reflect and think about my life and, and to think about my, my death, and as, 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 as I begin to think about death, actually, this fear came over me and this, the, the lyrics to this, this song just, just, just came over my heart at, at that moment and I began to sing the words to the song which is gonna be up on the screen. 
My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. In that moment, guys, I came to this realization and, and to see that I'm on the right path, that I have nothing, that I have nothing in this life that I can trust in but Jesus Christ. And I have nothing in death that I can trust in but Jesus Christ. And so in my life and in my death, all I have is Jesus Christ. He's all I have and he's all that you have. And he's all that I want. All I want in this life is to know him and for you to know him and for my kids to know him and for the city to know him and for the nations to know him. This, my friends, is what the Christian life is all about. Knowing Christ. Knowing that because of him, God welcomes me into his eternal kingdom now and forever. God welcomes me into his embrace, into his arms, and, and, and he has made me his own, not by anything that I have done, but based 100% on the person and work and Jesus Christ. And because of this, I want to spend the rest of my life and all throughout the eternity, joyfully obeying the command of verse one. Look at it. What's the command of verse one? Rejoice in the Lord. So I want to spend the rest of my life, and I hope that you want to spend the rest of your life helping others to see why the Lord is so worthy to be rejoiced in. Because this is the reason, guys, this is the reason why God saved us, and this is now the purpose of the Christian life, looking not to ourselves, not, not to say, how are we doing to measure up to God's expectations and standards? If you do that, you will despair, because you can never do it. But spending our lives seeing how Jesus actually measured up to God's expectations for us and spending our lives rejoicing and being satisfied in Him and leading others to do the same. Ten years ago, I'm about to close, so stay with me. I'm sweating up here. Maybe I'm getting a little overboard. No, I'm not. This is good news. Ten years ago, I heard this statement that radically changed my perspective on the Christian life. Some of you have heard it, and I hope that it's radically changed your perspective on the Christian life, and some of you haven't, so I hope as you listen to it, it will radically change your life comes from a book called Desiring God, written by a guy named John Piper. And this is what he says. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You see, when we see God for who he is, and all of his grace, and all of his mercy, and all of his love, and all of his kindness, when we see God for, for what he has accomplished for us in Christ, that's why, guys, we continue to, to lay out week after week after week just the reminder of who God is, and what he has done, and what he promises to do for us in Christ, because we forget. 
But guys, when we begin to see who God is and when we see what he's done, when we, when we see what he promises to be for us and do for us, all these amazing truths that he gives to us as a result of the gospel, our response isn't just seeing and believing. Our response is to rejoice and be satisfied in him. For when we do, when we say, guys, with our lips and with our, with our lives and all that we want is you, he gets the glory and you know what we get? We get the joy. And now the Christian life becomes about pursuing as much joy and satisfaction as we possibly can, not in the things of this world, but in God. And this changes everything. Because now the Christian life is not about trying to get God to be pleased with you by what you do. The Christian life now is about pleasing God by rejoicing and being satisfied in Him and seeking to know Him above all things. So let me ask you a question. Do you long to know Him? Then read your Bible. That's why you read your Bible. You long to be near Him? then pray. That's why you pray. You long for others to come to know him? Then love and serve your neighbor. Do you long to, to, to please God and to glorify him above all things in your life? Then seek your greatest satisfaction and joy in him. You see how that changes everything? How now the Christian life is about this pursuit of God, of knowing him of rejoicing in him, of being satisfied in him. And that's the reason why you do the things that you do. All the good things about reading your Bible and praying and, and loving and serving your neighbor is to know him and make him known. Guys, may this be the story of our lives. May we make this our prayer. To say with Paul, indeed, truly, I count everything a loss everything in loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. If you're in him, how the Father accepts you this morning and loves you and rejoices in you. And Jesus has met all of his expectations and standards for you. Now you get to spend the rest of your life in eternity pursuing him and knowing him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful and thankful for this wonderful truth that because of the person and work of Jesus, that he has measured up to all of your expectations and standards that we should have measured up to, but we haven't. And because of that, Father, the reality and the truth is, is that we deserve your rejection. But in and through Jesus, we have received your acceptance. And so, Father, I just ask and I plead with you that that, that truth, that, that you accept us and receive us in your son, Jesus, would free us to now spend the rest of our lives pursuing you and knowing you and seeking our greatest satisfaction and joy in you. For by doing so, 
it shows how much you're worth and it glorifies you above all things. And so we ask that you would help us to this end. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.